Esther chapter 4. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathach went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches a king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life. But thirty days have passed since I was called to, to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Thus ends our reading of God's unchanging word. May all who hear them rend their hearts to the Lord. Where do you draw your identity from? How do you define who you are? Does it come from your family? Perhaps your, your last name carries meaning and prestige in the community you live in. Or maybe you derive who you are from your work. What you do makes you unique and distinctive. Or perhaps for you it's all about patriotism. You are an American first 
and you are proud to be one. But where does God fit into all of this? What role does he have when it comes to your identity? Today we are going to take a, a closer look at Esther's story. That woman who had two identities. She was Hadassah, an orphaned Jew who was raised by her cousin. Yet she was also Esther, wife of Xerxes and queen of Persia. Now if you remember our passage from last week, Haman the Agagite sent out an edict to all the provinces of Persia, stating that in 11 months the Jews were to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated, young and old, women and little children. And this started a panic in Susa, and it was carried throughout the whole empire. For the Jews living at that time, they were distraught, bewildered as to why the king would allow such a decree to take place. How would they react? Where would they turn to in their time of trouble? Esther 4, verse 1. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and the order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Our friend Mordecai was in distress. This, this act of tearing one's clothes and donning sackcloth and ashes signaled deep mourning and great anguish. This practice, it can be found throughout the scriptures. And it carried different meanings depending on the context of the situation. For instance, to mourn the deaths of King Saul and Jonathan, David also took such a posture to express his grief. Yet in the book of Numbers, when the, when the Israelites they wanted to return to Egypt, Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes in an act of protest. And then we read in the book of Jonah about the Ninevites when they first heard that prophetic warning of God's impending judgment. The people wore sackcloth and sat in the dust as a sign of repentance. And now we see Mordecai in the midst of the city wearing sackcloth and ashes, wailing loudly and bitterly. But not only Mordecai, but many of the Jews in every province made such a public display. The whole empire became aware of the Jewish distress. You see, this was more than just an act of mourning. It was also a protest against Haman's decree. Mordecai and others wanted to attract as much attention as they could to themselves. He wanted the public to know of the injustice 
that was taking place. But more than that, like the Ninevites, this was an act of repentance as well. Let's take a closer look at that phrase we see in verse 3. There was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. This is the exact same language that we read in our first scripture reading today. Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Listen to the prophet's words. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. This is what is known as a metalipsis. It is a literary echo, if you will, that links this text in Esther to that of Joel. The author wants the reader to interpret this passage in light of Joel's message. Now the book of Joel begins with a warning of a plague of locusts that God would soon send to devastate the land. It was a call to repentance and a promise of restoration. Here in Esther, we see this same call. Yet instead of an army of locusts, we have Haman's soldiers that are getting themselves ready. Destruction is coming. The Jews that were scattered throughout Persia, they followed Joel's instructions by fasting and weeping and mourning. They had torn their clothes, seeking the help of their God. But Joel goes further than that. In verse 13, he says this, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. The Jews in Persia looked to that gracious God, hoping that the, the calamity that was before them would be turned back. Mordecai and others, they had rent their garments. Yet the Lord seeks a broken heart. He desires true repentance rather than just outward displays. Well, word gets to Queen Esther of Mordecai's behavior, and she sends new clothes to her cousin. Of course, Mordecai refuses her gift and in turn troubles the queen. So she sent her eunuch to find out why Mordecai was so troubled. Verse 6. So Hathach went, went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for, the, for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain to her, and he, and he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Being secluded within the palace grounds, Esther had not yet heard of Haman's plot to end the Jews. Mordecai wanted Esther to, to fully understand every detail that had transpired. 
So a copy of the edict was sent to her, along with the, the request for her to intervene on behalf of her people. In fact, listen to his words. Urge her to go to the king's presence, to beg for mercy, and plead with him for her people. Begging and pleading. He wanted her to take a posture of humility before her husband in order to rescue her people. She needed to humble herself. Let's see how she responded. Verse 10. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. The Greek historian Herodotus attests to such laws being used by the Persian kings. Unless summoned, none could approach the king's chamber upon penalty of death. And if one did make such, such a mistake, it was only by the mercy of the king that their life would be spared. If Xerxes extended his gold and scepter, then clemency was granted. Esther was in a dilemma. For whatever reason, she had fallen out of favor with her husband. They had now been married for, for five years, yet it had been 30 days since Xerxes had summoned her. Here's what you need to understand. Esther's marriage to the king was not your typical marriage. She wasn't really a part of her husband's life like most wives are. They didn't share the same living quarters. They didn't eat meals together. The king had many concubines that could keep him company at night. But even with this being the case, to have no contact for 30 days would have been a bit unusual. Esther had to have been wondering if she had offended him some way or another. And now her cousin Mordecai was, was asking her to put her neck on the line. And she was reluctant to do so. Verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai had begun to realize that Esther's whole life had led to this very crucial moment. Being selected as a potential bride for the king, finding favor with the head eunuch, being moved to the best part of the harem, and eventually winning the heart of Xerxes and becoming queen of Persia. 
Less and less did these events seem like the outcomes of a Jewish orphan who worked her way to the top. No. There was an invisible hand directing Esther's steps. Placing her in a position of power so that she could represent her people and plead for their lives. So Mordecai warns her, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. He sees God's hand behind all of this and believes that if she fails to step into her purpose, God will raise up another who will do it. And Esther's fate would be left in the hands of Yahweh. She had an obedient spirit before Mordecai. And she had an obedient spirit before King Xerxes. But the question was, would she have that same obedient spirit before her God? It is safer to risk one's life following God than to turn away from one's calling and trust in the world. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Again, we see Joel being echoed here. Joel 2, verse 14. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing. Just as Mordecai and the Jews throughout the the whole empire turned to their God in sackcloth and ashes, looking for his pity. So now, Esther needed to decide who she was and who she would turn to. Was she Esther, the Persian beauty, living life for her own pleasure and gain? Or was she Hadassah, the orphan Jew, providentially placed in a position to save her people. You see, to, to approach the king meant more than seeking the mercy of his golden scepter, for it also meant coming out of the shadows, revealing her true identity to her husband, that she was a Jew, a people condemned to death by edict of the king. To truly act As a queen of Persia, Esther must first rend her heart to God and identify with her Jewish roots. Verse 15. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done... I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. True to her queenly nature, no longer would Esther take commands from her cousin Mordecai. From now on, she would be the one delivering instructions to him. 
She directed him to gather all the Jews in Susa and to have them fast for three days and three nights. Joel chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? One last time. The author of Esther calls the reader's attention to the prophet Joel. In his ever so subtle way, he directs the focus to seeking the Lord in times of distress. Without mentioning God by name or by title. Queen Esther blew the trumpet in Susa, calling for a three-day fast. After they had sought the Lord, then she would go to the king. Even though it was against the law, for her people, she would take up the role of the transgressor, hoping that by doing so, she would be able to bring about the mercy of God for her people. Esther had to decide who she would become. Would she choose the path of least resistance? living a pagan lifestyle, enjoying the delights of this world? Or would she rend her heart to the Lord, identifying herself with the Jewish nation, stepping into that purpose that God had carved out for her? God has placed a similar calling on you as well. Maybe you are not yet a Christian, Yet you have have become convinced that Jesus really did rise from the dead. Will you rend your heart to God, identifying yourself with God's people? Will you repent of your sins and put your trust in Christ alone? Or perhaps you are a new believer, yet you are being tugged by two different kingdoms. There is that old world of sin and doubt that you were once enslaved to. It would be easy to go that route once again. Forgetting Christ and your new church family. You could just go back to to living for yourself once more. Will you rend your heart to God? Identifying yourself with God's people. Setting aside the things that hinder and pressing on towards what lies ahead. Or maybe you have been a Christian for many, many years now. And you have grown accustomed to the routine of life. And in doing so, you have also become complacent. No longer sticking your neck out for Jesus like you used to. It is easier to just... Sit back 
and let others take the lead? Will you rend your heart to God? Identifying yourself with God's people. Finishing strong the race that God has called you to. Whether Esther lived or died, she would stand for her people. You see, that is what true leadership does. It takes the position of a servant, placing value on the lives of the followers over and above the life of oneself. As our Lord looked to the cross, he prayed this to to his Father. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was the one who had rent his heart to his Father. He identified with God's people. He did so by becoming one of you. And like Esther, he took up the role of the transgressor, even though he was faultless. He did so to intervene for his people. To intervene for you. For Esther, she did not know her fate. Whether or not the king would extend that golden scepter, granting her mercy. Jesus already knew his fate. No scepter would be extended towards him. You see, he valued your life over and above his own. That's why he went to the cross. There was no other possible route for salvation. In order to bring about rescue, he had to stand between the the king of the universe and you. The wrath that you deserve was placed upon his head as he was nailed to that tree. And in return, the golden scepter has been extended to you. It was God's providence that had brought Esther to a royal position for such a time as this. Her attitude, if I perish, I perish. Esther, the queen of Persia, rent her heart to the Lord and had once again become Hadassah, the orphan. Jew. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would work in our lives, that we might rend our hearts to you. Thank you for sending your son to die for our sins and for your Holy Spirit who produces faith within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.